Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, Grab girl? my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. You eat a chicken sandwich? This is the press box. The best is their chicken minis, which are these little small rolls that they have butter all over them and like a chicken nugget inside of it, and they're delicious. I got to get out more, man. I have a slice of wheat toast. With Grainy and Bischoff. I got to get out more. On ESPN Las Vegas. It'll be a muffin this morning, maybe some Starbucks to go with it. There'll be no chicken at this house, uh, but at the other house there will be ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. It's Ed, Tyler, and Jared. little football to start us off. The First Bite. Muffin. Will the Raiders miss out on all the top free agent wide receivers? Muffins are before you rip it. The the, the, mump, the pumpkin chocolate muffin from some Smiths. I mean, forget about it. Come on, give me a break. It's, it's not, uh, it just, wait, you you just offered Jared, it up. I just was. Jared muffin. Muffins. Are I know. Great. Muffins oh, no. are great. I love. I love muffins. It just was like muffin today. <laughs> like well, it was just very like matter I, of fact. I just want to make sure people know I'm not ordering Chick-fil-A at 7 a.m. I don't even know if they're open at this point. Tyler would know if they're open. I don't <sighs> of know. Of course they are. They've been open for at least an hour. Uh, Do the they problem, open this early? Oh yeah, you gotta get the chicken minis in the in the heart-shaped oh. tray. It's fantastic. Oh. The the oh. worst part about Jared playing this opening once a week is I always am like, yeah, I'm gonna order Chick-fil-A. So it's amazing. Control what I have for breakfast. I'll <laughs> stick with the uh, little frappuccino drink and the muffin. Um, so, well, for the Raiders' sake, uh, if you're a Raiders fan, you hope they don't miss out on all these top free agent wide receivers. On the other side, uh, Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay, they can all be franchise tag. I don't know if they will be, Tyler, but um, I think those those uh, franchise, I don't know the cap hit for most of them, but I would think they're thinking long and hard about letting guys like that go. Yeah, and like the Buccaneers, it's been reported that they're they're going to tag Chris Godwin if they don't come to a deal with him, that he's their priority free agent and he's going to be with the Bucs, even if they can't get a long-term deal done. Um, Ian Rappaport reported yesterday kind of the same thing with Kenny Galladay and the Lions, that they want to tag him if they can't sign him to a long-term deal. So it sounds like those are the big three, Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin, and Kenny Galladay. It sounds like at least two of those three are never even going to hit free agency this offseason. And it brings Allen Robinson as the only one as a possibility. And Allen Robinson and the Bears have tried to work out a long-term extension while he was under contract. Um, They never got one done. Allen Robinson's agent, if you remember, throughout the year, there were a couple of times where he was mad on Twitter about Allen Robinson not getting enough targets. Um, so it's, it, there's very much a, a level of Allen Robinson seems like he wants out of Chicago, but Chicago can still franchise tag him. And what it sounds like could happen is it sounds like the Bears could franchise tag Allen Robinson, and then he could demand a trade, basically say, I'm not showing up. So the Bears basically pull off, well, we'll franchise tag you and trade you so we get something in return for Allen Robinson. So he might be the only one that's available, but he might not even really be available through free agency. It might be available through a trade, and then you have to sign him to the long-term deal anyway. So of all these big-name free agents, I don't know that the Raiders are going to have a shot at getting any of them. 
No, I mean, if Allen Robinson's the only one to essentially hit the market, even if they tag him, the Raiders aren't going to be the only ones in line, I'd imagine. Uh, you know, he's one of the best, if not best receivers available. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think they would make the call, much like I think they've made a call on Deshaun Watson and others when these guys become available, but that's where it usually ends. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know what they'd give up for Allen Robinson. Uh, they certainly need a receiver like him. Um, and I don't think there's others in free agency that are, you know, very enticing. Uh, so we'll have to see. I mean, if you're hoping for a guy to hold out after getting tagged and then make a deal for him, you should probably <laughs> you should probably be thinking of other options. And maybe yes. if that happens, then you make the call and say, OK, we're in this maybe. But I don't think I would count on Allen Robinson at this point. And so the problem with the wide receiver market is once you get beyond those three, there are other good wide receivers that, that could be free agents or that will be free agents, right? Will Fuller's out there, Corey Davis from the Titans, Juju Smith-Schuster. Like, th there's some other decent wide receivers that are available. The problem is the price tag. And, like, to use Pro Football Focus, who projects every contract, like, Will Fuller's projected to get $17.5 Juju Smith-Schuster, $17 Corey Davis, $16 million a year. And if I'm the Raiders... The only way I'm spending big money on offense is if I get a legitimate like top 10, top five even guy at his position, and that's not Corey Davis, Juju Smith-Schuster, or Will Fuller. That is Allen Robinson, right? That is, yeah. you know, Kenny yeah. Galladay's probably on the outside of the top 10, but he could get there. So if you're spending over $15 million on a wide receiver – it's got to be one of the top guys, and if all three of the top guys aren't there, I, I think it'd be really dumb for them to go after Will Fuller or Juju Smith-Schuster because I don't know that they make a massive difference in this offense, whereas Allen Robinson or Chris Godwin or Kenny Galladay might. And I think you can even extend that down to, we've talked about it before, but Nelson Aguilar. If Nelson Aguilar costs $9, 10000000 this offseason, I don't think that's a great deal for the Raiders. Like, he's probably worth it but he doesn't change your offense and you're better off spending that money on defense if you don't get a game changer on the offensive side. Yeah, that's interesting because I think nine or 10 million would be overpaying for Aguilar, but flip the coin and have a chance. I'd rather do that than give Will Fuller 17. Uh, yes. I just yeah. don't think, well, I don't think Will Fuller's, I mean, I, I wouldn't give Will Fuller 17 when you have that many holes on defense. If you, if you just have nobody else and there's no one else that you think can give you uh, big-time receiving, uh, you know, production, you know, you might not like Nelson Aguilar wanting 9 to 10, but you know, then you have to start looking at, okay, who do you really have at this point? So I think 9 to 10 is too much, but uh, if you're talking about those others that you mentioned, I guess I might bite the bullet and give them the 9 or 10 than even thinking about getting in the 16, 17 range unless it's one of these top three guys. Yeah, and so that, to me... It, the Raiders offseason, like, you've got to be focused on defense. But I've said plenty of times on this show, I think they should chase after Allen Robinson because I think Allen Robinson is, is really good and could actually change the offense. Uh, to me, at the wide receiver position, the Raiders should either go all in after an Allen Robinson type or basically go extremely cheap. Right, they should just kind of not not ignore the position because you need bodies, but they should go like they did last year with Nelson Aguilar and sign a you know veteran who's going to get paid not or not get paid very much money because 
they have to fix the defense to some extent. And if you're not going to get a game changer on offense, it's not worth having. So you look at some of the other wide receivers, like Deshaun Jackson got released. Kenny Stills is out there. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald is, is the free agent if he's going to play again. Like there's some other names out there that you can pay that are projected for, you know, less than $5 million a year. And if you land them, like, they're probably not going to be great, but hey, if you get a Nelson Aguilar season out of a Kenny Stills who you're paying $2 million a year, that's a phenomenal signing, and that helps your team. But to me, that wide receiver, they either need to go to the very top, all in on an Allen Robinson, or just not spend much money at all on the position and basically rely on Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, Hunter Renfro, and hopefully one veteran signing to work out to be your top four wide receivers. Deshaun Jackson, well, he's interesting in a few ways. Now, he's 34, and he could be retiring. I mean, he's had he's been injured for a few seasons. Um, he might be, if, if all else fails on these other guys, I mean, you might sign him and say, we'll give you this much and please stay off Twitter because kind of that's where his most problems have been, posting things that are uh, completely uh, crazy <laughs> in the last few years. So, you know, again, if he's 4 or $5 million, I mean, he's – He's had a heck of a career on the field. Um, he's got a lot of touchdowns, 50, 60 plus. And, you know, I mean, I don't think he can still stretch it like that. But, yeah, I mean, if you're down to almost what you have and you think you still have to add someone, uh, you know, you talked about uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. You know, that, does that make sense on the big on the big uh, sensor where Hunter Renfro plays that spot? Supposedly you really like Hunter Renfro, and I think they should like Hunter Renfro. I think he's been productive, and I think he's going to get better. Uh, as as his career goes on so that never made sense to me and yet that seemed to be the name that kept popping up in these reports that that was the guy they're going after i mean i haven't read any reports you know hey they're in on they're going to be in on alan robinson they're going to be in on this guy it's it's the most reports i've read are is juju smith schuster and he made not much sense given what we think they need most by watching them play yeah of all the wide receivers the raiders have on the roster the one you feel most confident about yeah, being an NFL-level starter is Hunter Renfro, right? Yeah. Like, you can you can have expectations for Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs that they'll be better in year two. Like, that's fine. But the one you feel the most confident about is Hunter Renfro. Is Juju Smith-Schuster better than Hunter Renfro? Yes, absolutely. Is Juju Smith-Schuster worth spending $17 million a year to get better than Hunter Renfro? Probably not. I think that would be no. a dumb way to go about it unless you're – convinced you can move Juju Smith-Schuster to the outside and that he'll be effective out there. I don't know if that's a smart way to go about handling Juju Smith-Schuster, but yeah, that would be, that would be a strange fit. If they, if they weren't went out and spent 15, 17, 20 million on a receiver and it was Juju Smith-Schuster, that wouldn't make a lot of sense. I wonder uh, as the market starts to thin um, where, and again, I'm not going to pretend to know every team's needs at wide receiver, but, you know, if Will Fuller's getting 17, I wonder at what point, you know, Nelson Aguilar's just priced out for them, like how high they really would go. Not not that they should go in terms of nine or ten, but how how high they would go for him. Because if all these guys are tagged, unless the Allen Robinson's the only one out there and there's only one team, whoever it is, could get him, uh, doesn't Aguilar, he, isn't he in that next group given what he did last year? And, and if one guy's getting 17, I just don't know if he's going to settle at eight or nine million. Yeah, so it's it's going to be fascinating to watch how the honestly all the free agent market plays out given that the salary cap is going to be lower than it was last year because if if Galladay, Godwin and Robinson don't don't change teams and you're looking at, you know, Will Fuller, Juju Smith-Schuster, Corey Davis is sort of the next guys, 
right? Nelson Aguilar is, there's a lot of wide receivers. It's there's T Y Hilton's out there. Marvin Jones is out there. Curtis Samuel's out there. Sammy Watkins is out there. Like there's a lot of free agent wide receivers this off season. So I'm curious if, if teams decide, well, you know, Nelson Aguilar had a nice season, but we're just not going to pay him eight or 9 million. Marvin Jones has had some good seasons with the lions. We're not going to pay him $9 million. Same for T.Y. Hilton or Curtis Samuel. We're just we're just not going to pay those type of guys $9 million because the salary cap went down. And I'm curious how many of those guys go for, for smaller deals. Because that's where, if you're the Raiders, that's where you could get great value. Like, if for whatever reason, let's take Marvin Jones as an example. If, if Marvin Jones, just nobody's that interested because the salary cap went down and you sneak in and say, hey, Marvin Jones for $5 million – that's a tremendous deal. So I'm curious if that's something the Raiders will be able to do is find sort of like a second or third tier wide receiver that sort of doesn't get picked because of the salary cap going down and you get them for cheap. Well, if they if, if what you said is they end up saying we're just going to rely on who we have, I don't think that's good. I, I think they have to try to add someone. I mean, if you're, then you're really, as you just said, then you're really hoping Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards takes, you know, quantum leaps forward in their development I, maybe they can I, I don't know but after what we saw you know again if you tell me huge huge leaps I don't know if I would believe that so I think they need to try to get someone if they're just going to come back with as good as their offense can be with Waller and the way Carr plays at times as good as their offense can be they need someone I, you know I, I just don't know if I'd be in that room saying we believe Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards are going to be this after the last year Make sure you guys are listening throughout the show for a sounder from the Vegas Lawyers. You'll hear Tony Abitangelo and the Vegas Lawyers, and that will be your cue to call in for a chance to get qualified to win $2,000. We'll give away that $2,000 at the end of the month. So make sure you're listening. Your chance to get qualified to win $2,000 from the Vegas Lawyer. You'll hear a sounder, and that will be your cue to call. Coming up next, oh, we got a lot of scheduling news in the Mountain West. Doncic with six and five and four and three to his left pulls up from the hash mark. It's good! It's good! With a tenth of a second remaining as Doncic nails the game winner and the Mavericks will win it 110 to 107. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. We've got makeup games in the Mountain West. UNLV will play San Diego State at home, and then they will play a makeup game in Laramie. They have to go to Wyoming. They missed a two-game series at Wyoming and a two-game series hosting San Diego State uh, during their COVID pause earlier in the season. I'll give you uh, I'll give you the good news from a UNLV perspective, Ed. They could steal the five seed from Nevada in the Mountain West tournament now. Oh. It's a big, so, it's a big, big day. Nevada plays Utah State twice, and their makeup Oof. games Oof. are Colorado State and San Jose State. Um, if Nevada goes one and three, which presumably they'll beat San Jose State, a four and zero finish from UNLV would give them the five seed in a first round bye. Well, that's what you want. Uh, I we, we talked about these makeup games. It doesn't really matter anymore. They're going to play them. It was all for TV. I la- I had to. I laughed at um, for UNLV. Okay, obviously San Diego State. They want San Diego State on TV. I get that. Um, it's all a TV decision. But I felt I felt bad for the Rebels. I'm like, hold on a second. They're sending these guys to Laramie, Wyoming, for a makeup game. I, it was just so. I mean. 
obviously, if if the San Diego State game doesn't tell you it's about TV, going to Laramie is definitely about we need to fill these spots and we don't really care who's playing in them because that makes zero sense on any level to send these guys to Laramie, Wyoming for a game between those two teams. But again, it's all back to TV. That was this entire decision based upon TV. No one wanted to do this. You, you had coaches calling commissioners, screaming at them, saying, we don't want to do this. What are you doing? You're going to cost teams bids. Um, and I, I know for a fact one coach called, and his team's not even going to be in it. I'm not talking about TJ, but another coach in the league who, whose team's not going to the NCAA tournament unless they win the conference tournament. And they're like, this is stupid. What are you doing? So this was all about TV and filling slots, and that's the way it is. So they're going to play them, and it'll shake out in the end on how many bids the league gets. I mean – if the league gets one instead of three, can you look back and say these t- games made the difference? I'm not so sure, but I'm not against that, that thought either because I'll tell you what, if you've seen the, you know, if you, we talked about this yesterday, perception's reality. And now I'm seeing, oh, Duke's won four straight. Oh, Michigan State's 10 and nine, but you know what? They beat Illinois. You start losing in the Mountain West and you're supposed to be in and you give them a week or two to think about it. I'm telling you that could cost you bids for one of those other teams. I'm telling, that would happen. So, the, the Mountain West has decided to do this, and we'll just have to wait on Selection Sunday about how many bids they get. The four Mountain West teams that can make the NCAA tournament, San Diego State, Boise State, Utah State, and Colorado State. These are the teams that they largest. play. Yeah, these are the teams they play yeah. in the makeup games. Uh, one game against UNLV. Uh, there are three games against Fresno State. Uh, there's a game against Wyoming, a game against New Mexico, and one game against Nevada. Those f- top four teams... They are this season 37 and 3 against the rest of the Mountain West. UNLV yeah. beat Utah State and Nevada swept Boise State. 37 and 3. If you're worried about losing games in which your 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 peers are 37 and 3 this year, what are you worried about? Like these are guaranteed wins for the most part. The only team that should be worried is Colorado State yeah. having to play Nevada. That's it. That's Colorado the only State. team that should be worried. Boise State's playing Colorado Fresno State could State. lose. Utah State's yeah. playing Wyoming and Fresno State. Like, that's it. No, you should, like, nobody should be worried. I, I, If you want to complain that it's a pandemic and we don't need to send teams around the country more, okay. But the NCAA tournament part of it, if you're going to lose to Fresno State, okay, yeah, you lost your way out of the NCAA tournament. That's on you. That's not on the Mountain West for making you play Fresno State. Mm. Fresno State sucks. Just beat them. UNLV is a team that's going to be favored against Fresno State. If you lose to them, that you don't get to say, ah, you screwed us out of the NCAA tournament. No, you lost to Fresno State. Well, yes and no. I mean, I, again, you can if you're in a Power Five, you can afford that loss. If you're in the Mountain West, you can't. I get it that they should win these games. But I think there was a, and we talked about it yesterday, and I still haven't figured out, and I don't think any of us have, and how much money this would have cost them if they didn't do it. Because we just don't know the TV contract, even though it's really about 80% football, 20% basketball. I don't know what that would have been. Um, I do think there should have been a conversation, depending on the finances in this, is it worth it that maybe one of them slip up and we lose that bid, we lose the 280000 whatever it is, when you get to the NSA tournament. And if you win, actually win a game, it's 280000 more. Um, so, yeah, they should all win these games, except Carter State and Nevada. That's the one. That's absolutely the one that they could go lose. There's just not the margin of error of losing a game you should win in the Mountain West. There just isn't. So, you know, if you think it's fair or unfair, at Boise State drops to Fresno State or San Diego State loses to UNLV, and that costs them the bid, that's just the reality of the conference during. Their conference isn't any good. 
So I think that's why those, not, not that those teams should win those games, but I think that's why the discussions were even in place. Like if this happens, we're not the ACC or Big 12. We're not going to get, we're not going to get, you know, a, a mulligan there. They're going to use that to say, eh, you know, you lost to UNLV 131 in Kempom. That's not good enough. You're out. Um, so I think that's why the coaches felt that way. And I think that's why the league at least thought about not playing these because they know where they are in the big picture of college basketball. They just can't afford those losses. They're not a lot. If San Diego State loses to UNLV and it's the week before the conference tournament, watch Twitter and watch Bracketology for nine days talk about that loss. If Duke loses a game, you don't talk that much about a loss. All I've heard from Duke is they've won four straight. They're back in the bubble. Michigan State's 10 and 9, or no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, they're 12 and 9 because they beat Illinois. They're 12 and 9. First four stories I see this morning, well, they're back in the bubble because it's Michigan State. If a Mountain West team's 12 and 9, they're, they have, they're not even, you know, in the discussion. So I think that's where those discussions happen between those coaches and that league. But at the end of the day, you know, TV said we want the games. They went there, and now those teams, like you said, they have to go win those games, not worry about it. UNLV is ranked 150th in Ken Palm. 150? Um, okay. They are worse than every single ACC and Big Ten team. The reason you can't afford to lose to UNLV is because UNLV is not any good, and neither Duke nor Michigan State have lost to a team as bad as UNLV. Yeah. Michigan State doesn't have yeah. a loss to a team outside the top 100. Now, they don't play many because in their conference, not many are outside the right. top 100. But like right. their last four losses are seven Ohio State, four Iowa, four Iowa again, 17 Purdue. Like The reason you can afford a loss in the Big Ten is because the teams are really good. If right, you're, because if, the teams are good. Right. If Michigan State, yeah. for some reason, was playing the 150th team in the country and they lost to them, that would knock them off the bubble. If Duke was playing mm -hmm. the 150th team in the country and lost – that knock them off the bubble. So yeah, you don't have a margin for error, but you're also playing right. terrible teams. Don't lose. No, the they should win the game. Best team. Yeah. yeah. No, you got like to win. I mean, yeah. I that, get why awesome. coaches are complaining, but like to me, right. if you if you if you're a coach and you genuinely are afraid that you're gonna miss the NCAA tournament because you lose to UNLV or you lose to Fresno State or Wyoming in this last week of the regular season, I'm sorry, your team's not good enough. If, that, yeah. if that's what I, you're afraid of, what the hell are you actually going to do in the NCAA well, tournament when you have to play a good team? I mean, I get that, but I, I know why they're nervous because of the league they're in. Like, I get that. I get that you should beat those teams and you should go and beat them, but I, I just think that they don't, and, and for good reason. They're not a good team. I mean, look at what, like, the numbers you put out on the record and, you know, San Diego State, I think they won four six straight games by 29 because the league was just so horrible. They got, like, six straight horrible teams. So there is no margin for it because your league's so bad. But I understood why. And here's the thing. This isn't just the four teams in the bubble. You had you had the bad teams not wanting to play. You had the yeah, bad team saying, I, I don't want to play. I get it. Why would we do this? This is stupid. We, it's a week before the conference tournament. You have the pandemic. You have these teams now flying around that could get COVID. So it wasn't like just the good teams didn't want to play. None of these people wanted to play. I mean, even the horrible teams like, yeah, this isn't worth it. Why are we doing this? Yeah, but nobody, um, nobody cares so, about Wyoming's opinion, so. Well, I mean, obviously, well, nobody cares about the top team's opinion either because they're playing the games. Yeah, nobody cares whining. about anyone's opinions. Everybody in this conference is just whining. You're playing well, basketball games. <laughs> Go play the day. You play, you're a college basketball coach, and you're complaining about having to coach college basketball yes, games. Yes. Go play them. Like, this is ridiculous. Everyone's complaining. Oh, oh right. boy, Coming there are some next. complainers. Hare Thompson got some calls. The whole conference is complaining <laughs> about having to play the sport they're supposed to be playing.
Coming up next, Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus joins the show. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Austin Gale. Follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Austin Gale. Austin, how are you this morning? Doing great, hey, man. How are you? You're good. Um, I want to I want to ask you about quarterbacks and sort of what you think about the idea because we might have it here in Las Vegas with Derek Carr if he gets an extension, but just the general philosophy as a team: should you pay thirty to forty million if your quarterback is somewhere between the you know eighth and fifteenth best quarterback in football? Is that a smart way to build your roster, or are you better off rolling the dice with rookie quarterbacks on cheap contracts? No, I, I don't think you should pay quarterbacks that are consistently in that eight to fifteen or eight to twenty range. I, I do think that's the issue. Like that's where teams struggle. It's where teams fall into quarterback purgatory, like the Minnesota Vikings were. Like I think the Colts are now with a combination of Rivers last year and now Wentz. You know, I, I think it's Jimmy Garoppolo is another good example. It's like, hey, you you got a good quarterback. You know, at, at Jimmy G's best, they top eight, top ten quarterback, but he's not enough. You know, you look at this past year in the NFC and AFC Championship, four of the five highest-graded quarterbacks, according to PFF, played in those games. The only guy that didn't play in that game was Deshaun Watson, and we know the situation he's in. You need a top-five, top-six quarterback to go deep in the postseason. And here's the situation. Here's the problem. It's not about winning a Super Bowl in the NFL. Can you win a Super Bowl with a Derek Carr, a Jimmy Garoppolo, a Jared Goff? Absolutely. But that's not the goal. The goal is to consistently be in the running, or competing for Super Bowls. That's what Aaron Rodgers has done, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning in his heyday. The best quarterbacks in the NFL are consistently competing for Super Bowls. I throw Russell Wilson in that conversation. That's what you want. That's who you pay. If you, you know, hit your saddle to a quarterback that's never going to be a top-six player at his position, you're going to be a guy that's trying to win a Super Bowl, trying to get one offseason where you shoot the moon and you sign the right guys and you draft the right players to win a Super Bowl, but then have to tear it all apart because you're paying a facilitator at the position not a difference maker at quarterback austin is there anything at this point it's almost like a mythology as you keep going on and on everyone's you know for refreshing twitter to see if it happens is there anything at this point that's too much for deshaun watson or do you think if you all go all in that you know there's just not a price that you shouldn't pay to get him so some people answer this question and say, you know, there is nothing too much for deshaun watson he's a top five top three quarterback in the nfl you do whatever it takes but my opinion is, why did the Texans win four games last year? It's because they tried to go all in with Deshaun Watson, trading for Laramie Tunsil, trading for Brandon Cooks, trying to go do as much as they could to build around Deshaun Watson, and it didn't work out. Like, if you mortgage the future and don't draft well and don't have the resources to build around Deshaun Watson, you're going to be a team that has a really good quarterback that wins four games. What you need to do, and I think that's why, for, from a trade compensation standpoint, I think you have to think about, yes, trading away two, three first-round picks, maybe some additional picks in, in, in addition, but according to Peter King's column, the Houston Texans are looking for two, three first-round picks, additional picks beyond that, and young offensive starters like a Jerry Judy if the Broncos made a move and stuff like that. It's like if you trade away all your first-round picks and then all the young players on your team, like the young, talented players, he's going to go into a similar situation that he's in now with Houston. I think you have to keep the conversation to picks and veterans. Not necessarily guys on rookie deals, not guys that you're trying to win with right now. And on those low contracts, you still need young talent to win with Deshaun Watson. I think you have to keep it if you do trade for him. Well, good news for the Raiders. They don't have any young talent to actually trade. So <laughs> if they wanted to do that, they couldn't give it away. Um, I'm curious on, on the idea of quarterbacks and, and figuring out, like, should you pay the guy or not pay the guy? 
how difficult is it to project if a guy can get into that top five or six range? Like, obviously, we've seen, you know, Derek Carr for a long time, and it, it doesn't seem like he's ever going to be a top five quarterback. That one seems pretty easy. But, like, take the Chargers and Justin Herbert in the future. If he hangs out in that 8 to 15 range for the next four years of his career, how difficult is it to project, oh, that guy can be one of the top five or six guys, and we should pay him because we think he can get there? You know, what's interesting is I don't think – the ability to predict a quarterback's ceiling or his, you know, top or peak performance or ability is the problem. I don't think that's where we're having issues. You know, I think it's, there's a lot of data out there right now on the quarterback position. In addition to obviously traditional scouting methods with arm talent and athleticism and those things, where you can feel very confident in predicting a quarterback's success after you've seen him in the NFL. I think there are other situations like. Um, where you know, going from college to the NFL, there's not a lot that translates those types of things. But three or four years in, there's enough data out there, there's enough tape out there to get a good feel of, like, can this guy ever be a top five, top six player at his position? The problem is why we see teams sign a Kirk Cousins or a Jimmy G or a Derek Carr or whatever it is, is there are still teams in front offices and decision makers that think they can win without one. There are teams that, you know, there are guys that definitely think that, hey, as long as we have a good quarterback, I can win football games. We'll build around the defense, wide receivers, we'll do these things, we'll run the football. There's still some of that old mentality, I think, in the NFL. While the teams that are winning and the teams that are going to continue to win, like the Chiefs, I'd say like the Bucks, the Packers, they have the best quarterbacks. The ones with the best quarterbacks win football games. So you should be doing everything in your power to get into that conversation. And if you can't, because not every team's going to have a top five quarterback, obviously, there's only five. If you can't, it's progressing and developing a quarterback on a rookie deal. Drafted in the first round, so you have four years, five years with him where you're not paying him $25 million a year like you would with these other guys. If if Robinson, Godwin, and Galladay are all tagged, uh, given the cap situations and you get to the next level of Fuller and Smith-Schuster and people like that, do you think those guys will find uh, the fact that there's less money than they think uh, because of the cap, or do you think teams will still pony up and spend a lot of money in receivers this year? No, I, I think it's going to be a really hard, hard off season for any position. Regar- obviously, the receiving class in free agency is massive and a lot of talent there, but it's going to be hard regardless of position to break the bank this off season because teams are working under a $180 to $188 million cap. So they're going to be looking to cut players and move on from players and restructure contracts more, they are, more than they're going to look to bring in guys on big, big money deals. I think for Galladay, a tag or a tag and trade could make sense for Detroit. For Allen Robinson, I doubt he does. They do tag him. I, I don't think that's the situation that that relationship is in right now. Also, they'd have to pay him a ton of money just to have him on the tag, and I doubt he wants to work towards a long-term extension. That's another guy. If they do tag him, he'd be another tag-and-trade candidate. I think that tag-and-trades are going to get more popular in the NFL, like we saw in previous years with D. Ford and, and Frank Clark, I think, was another one of those. Like I think you're going to see that a lot more. I think you'll see that this offseason with potentially Robinson and Galladay. Another guy I would throw in there, too, is Taylor Moton. That's another guy that you could see be tagged-and-traded. Uh, when you guys uh, are evaluating players at pro at uh, PFF, how stable are free agents when they go to a new team? Obviously, we saw with the Raiders, like Corey Littleton, went from great season with the Rams to terrible season with the Raiders. How stable are players typically year to year when they change teams in free agency? I, I think it depends on the position. I think that's obviously an, an obvious answer to that question. Linebacker scheme can change a ton on you. I, I know from talking to some people around the league, he was asked to do a lot more from a responsibility standpoint in Las Vegas than he was asked in Los Angeles. I think that changed a lot of things for him. To factor that in, in an offseason where he was doing it all through Zoom meetings, 
it was very difficult for Corey Littleton to react on the field and was thinking a lot more on the football field. So I do think for positions like linebacker, corner, you know, those react positions on defense where you have to learn new schemes, play in new coverages, those types of things, it's very difficult. While as other positions like the wide receiver or offensive line, I think it's easier to have or have project, project more stability in grading profiles and, and uh, performance. I assume then, because it's posi- you're talking about positions, the same might hold true with a, a guy in his second year, specifically a guy like Henry Ruggs, who I think by all accounts underachieved in terms of where he was drafted and what people thought of him. Do you have percentages in terms of how guys make a jump their second year with the same team, or is it a getting back to the position? No, I, I do think with Ruggs, and this, this season in particular will be interesting to see the amount of second-year leaps because it was such a weird offseason where – Rookies were coming in and asked to start very early, and were not given an opportunity to work with the you know work with their team, you know catch passes from their quarterback, you know up until like late August, as I think what it was. So I do think Henry Ruggs gets better. I think every rookie gets better in year two in 2021 because there's expected to be a legitimate offseason this um, this year in 2021. And with Ruggs, I think the bigger concern for Ruggs for me is that you did see him struggle with physicality. And that, I think, at the line of scrimmage and even off the line of scrimmage, working through contact was a problem at some points at Alabama, but no one pressed him at Alabama because no one could hang with him um, in the SEC there because of his speed. So he worked against a lot of free releases. But when he had to get through some contact in the NFL, there were struggles. That's something that doesn't get better when you, you know, trade away Zoom meetings for on-field practices. What does get better, I think, is his understanding with the playbook and his chemistry with Derek Carr, which was obviously off this past season. That gets better in 2021. Does he get better from a physicality standpoint? We'll see. I think he needs to work on his routes a lot more. I do think there's opportunity for him to develop as a pass catcher as well. Uh, looking at the draft, are there any players you've gotten a crush on? Anybody you're in love with right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm doing a lot of interviews for the podcast I have, 2 for one drafts. You can find that wherever you do find podcasts. But I talked to Rondell Moore and Amari Rogers recently, two slot receiver types in this class that I think are getting slept on a bit. Rondell Moore, former you know, has probably the best true freshman season we've ever seen from a receiver in college football back in 2018, but has battled two grade one hamstring pulls and has struggled to see the football football field since. But that's the guy that I think at the top of day two is going to make a lot of teams happy. And then another guy, Amari Rogers, coach's son through and through. I think his, co- his dad is a wide receivers coach with the Ravens. But he, one of the smartest players I've talked to, and he's a former Clemson guy, has worked with Hunter Renfro in the past. I think that's another guy that's going to get under drafted because he's going to be a very productive player in the slot so talking to a lot of receivers right now those are two guys i really do like after talking to them recently who is the uh, average clemson player the raiders will take two rounds too early this year oh man i would love them to take rogers but rogers has played behind hunter renfro before i don't think he wants to do that and i think renfro is a really good fit for the raiders in the slot outside of that i mean clemson jackson carmen is an option he's the opposite tackle he's actually from cincinnati where pro football fake focus is based that's the guy that i think needs to play better at the next level, still needs to develop, but has a lot of raw tools that the Raiders could covet at the position, especially if they start to think about moving on from Trent Brown, who I know is a big cap hit this offseason. There's a lot of moves they can make along the offensive line, but I think Clemson Jackson Carmen is a, is a name to look out for sure. Is it pre-draft nonsense? Uh, I'm seeing tweets this morning that a lot of these quarterbacks could be gone by five, or do you think actually there's going to be a run on them early? There's going to be a run on them early. There are, I, I, I don't know if it'll be the first draft in NFL history where quarterback goes one, two, three, four, but this class of any class I've seen in recent years is the most likely one to do it. I do think there are four legitimate tier one or tier 1.5 quarterbacks in this class, obviously starting with 
Trevor Lawrence, and then a combination of Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, and um, Trey Lance. I think those those four quarterbacks could go one, two, three, four. I think the Miami Dolphins would be very smart to either take a quarterback if you're saying they're at three. You don't have to. Obviously, you have to go by low or trade out. The wrong thing to do for Miami is to stay put at three and draft, say, Panay Sewell or Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith. I think there's going to be a lot of teams, San Francisco, Detroit, uh, not Detroit, Carolina, potentially Denver, looking to come up and grab a quarterback at that number three pick ahead of the Falcons, ahead of you know the Bengals, which is another trade-up opportunity. I think you're going to see quarterbacks go high. I think four quarterbacks come off the board before uh, pick seven. What is the gap between those four and Mac Jones? So originally I thought it was it was significant, but I think it's only significant from a tools perspective. Like arm talent, Mac Jones doesn't have it compared to the top four guys. Athleticism, Mac Jones doesn't have it compared to the top four guys. But playing the quarterback position well, he's up there. I mean, he was one of the highest graded quarterbacks in in college football this past year, according to PFF. Has done a lot of the same things that Tua Tungavailoa did, and maybe Tungavailoa has a better arm or some better athleticism, but. I don't think they're that different of prospects. And Tua Tungabailoa went high himself. I think Mac Jones could get worked up into the top ten because, and Adam Schefter has said this too, we might see teams, 18 different teams, start a new quarterback in week one than they did the previous year. I think a lot of teams are trying to get aggressive at making upgrades at quarterback because they realize it's a quarterback-driven league. Like, you're not competing with the Chiefs, the Bucks, the Packers with bad quarterback play. You're not. You're not going to go deep in the postseason unless you have yourself one of those top five, top six guys. And, that's not going to cut it if you're sticking to Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles, Alex Smith. You know, it, it, you have to try and get aggressive, and I think you're going to see teams do that. Well, he is Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Again, follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Austin. Gale, Austin, we appreciate it this morning. Thanks, Austin. Of course, thank you. So, there you go. Don't, don't ever pay your quarterbacks unless they're really, really good. good Never pay them. Never pay them. Only go with the rookies. All right, coming up next. We'll find out who has the worst significant other, Albert Pujols or Aaron Rodgers. I never thought I'd be engaged with somebody who threw balls for a living. Like, I never thought as a little girl, I was like, yeah, when I grow up, I'm going to marry someone who who throws balls. Yeah. Um, but he's really just so good at it. And <laughs> He really knows how to throw a ball. Yeah. <laughs> he can throw fastballs. He can throw slow balls, high balls, slow balls. When I first met him, I think my dog, my dog like pulled me aside and was like, if you don't date this dude, I will disown you as my mother because the three foot, like the three feet that I run with you when you throw a ball is nothing compared to the marathon oh. I'm able to run with him. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. All women want are somebody they can throw the ball for their dog. That's all they need in life. Um, that was Shailene Woodley on the Jimmy Fallon show. She is engaged to Aaron Rodgers. That is uh, her now fiance that can throw a ball, uh, high balls and low balls. But Shailene Woodley also said she's never been to a football game, uh, said she didn't really grow up with sports. And so she's never been to an NFL game. Uh, and that she didn't really know that Aaron Rodgers was good. Her quote was, I knew he was a football guy, but I didn't know what kind of football guy he was. Friends would say, you've got to watch his YouTube's greatest. And I was like, I don't get it. He's good. He's great. I don't understand. So is that the best or the worst uh, type of uh, significant other for Aaron Rodgers? Oh, the best. <laughs> I, this, is, this was a great story that she had no idea who this guy was. Um, the best, maybe, uh, you know, brings his ego down a little. Uh, and, uh, I, I, I had, this was a great story. I know we're gonna talk about the other story, which I didn't think was that great, but, um, 
I think the fact that uh, she had no idea who he was and that he just played football, you can't get better than this. Uh, to, for pro athletes and their egos, uh, to have someone who has no clue what you do, I, that's, I'll never think that's not a great story. The best line is her going, I know the nerdy guy who wants to like host Jeopardy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and he's going to do that. He's going to do that in April, so she knows the nerd. So that's Shailene Woodley. The other story about a significant other is Albert Pujols because Albert Pujols' wife posted on Instagram uh, earlier in the week. It was a long post, but it started off this way. Today is the first day of the last season of one of the most remarkable careers in sports. Everybody saw that and thought, huh? Albert Pujols is retiring. She then went back to update it and try to backtrack by saying, today is the first day of the last season based on his contract of one of the most <laughs> remarkable careers in sports. <laughs> so, yeah, so this, is, this isn't as good as the other story. <laughs> well, he's retiring, right? And she spoiled the announcement. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, if you're married that long... I would hope there's, you know, hey, I'm going to post this or something like that. Where the Shailene Woodley was great because I, you absolutely believe she's telling it. Why would she lie about that, that she had no idea who this guy was? So that's great. The fact that you don't maybe run it past Albert when he shows up to spring training and that long, long post about his career and their love for each other and this is it and a new part of the life, I mean, don't you, like, text and say, what do you think? Is this okay? I no. Mean, just no. No, no, yeah, no, it's the editors. age of social media. There's no editors, Ed. Come on. Uh, this is not nearly as good a story as Shailene Woodley. The, I the, think, the Shailene Woodley is the best story. I think it's a great story just because I, I am curious. Did Albert Pujols find out and what did he say? Like, if, if he's, if, like, was well, he planning yeah. on announcing a retirement and, like, making it a big deal and he finds out, oh, my wife just told everybody on Instagram. And the, and the fix was for her to just add the phrase based on his contract, like, that was going to make a difference. That, I, I hope more than anything, he just got done with BP and he went in the uh, clubhouse and the first beat writer that saw him said, hey, it's been a good career. Hi, huh? you're leaving. Uh, this is it. Huh? And, and, uh, and, and he said, what? what are you talking about? Uh, I, I hope it was broken to him like in a scrum and someone said, what do you, you have any comments on your wife's post? See, I want what I want to happen is him to be like, all right, go ahead and post it. And then they like get the mail and they realize there's a bill for the extension that they just agreed to put <laughs> on their like kitchen. And they're like, all right, maybe, maybe we're not retiring. Maybe let's see if we get another contract. <laughs> Is that Universal uh, DH getting passed? We can go back to a National League team? For yeah. Man, Albert Pujols. By the way, no player has ever haunted me more as an Astros fan than Albert Pujols. Unbelievable. Because obviously he was with the Cardinals and crushed sure. the Astros all the time. The worst part, though, is he left the Cardinals. I was pumped he left the Cardinals to go to the Angels. And then the Astros followed him to the AL West. <laughs> when has a team ever followed a player to another division? That was the worst thing that has ever happened. Was that those, oh crap, you got to play Albert Poole some more. Nobody's ever haunted me more than him. Thankfully, though, the Angels never win anything, and I've never had to been concerned with that. No, he, uh, the, the best he did right there was the press conference when they announced they had him in the big money. And ever since then, it's kind of been downhill for him at his age. So, um, I still think, though, we'll see what happens. But 
I'm going to guess that her post wasn't so far off from the truth. Well, he's, well here's the thing. He's got to announce that he's retiring. So he gets his retirement tour. So that when he goes to all these ballparks, teams start giving him stuff. That's like, that's what you have to do if you're like an all-time great. Is you got to get that retirement tour so everybody's giving you gifts. I wonder what the Dodgers as the champs would give. You know, the Dodgers and Angels play now every year. I wonder what we'd give Albert. He hurt them. He hurt them with the Cardinals as well. So I don't know if we want to give him anything. Maybe a rocking chair or something. Hey. Someone always comes up with a rocking chair. That's like a, a cliche gift on some of these tours. Here's here's the problem. You can't really hate Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols has never really done anything besides be good at baseball. Like, oh, I, yeah. He's like the player that's haunted my team of any player the most. And I... I don't hate him. Like he's he seems like a really great guy and I hate that about him cuz I want to hate him. I want to hate Albert Pujols, but I can't do it.